Friday the 10th of February. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines. Ireland sets a new January record for wind electricity generation. And BP announces record profits and a U-turn while Greenpeace activists take on Shell. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn and we've an episode full of energy and electricity stories this week. And as I say that, I can see my co-host Kira Daly's face lighting up. Uh, Kira, how are you doing? Great. I'm looking forward to uh, an episode all about dancing. <laughs> and uh, with a confused look on her face, uh, Anna Pringle is also here as always. Anna, how are you? I'm good, Dara. I'm still trying to connect the dancing to the energy and electricity that Kira is bringing to us. But okay, energy, electricity. It's like <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. We've had a really good episode. We're obviously going to review it. This week. <laughs> um, great. So as I've said, it's all about energy this week. And in Ireland, wind farms set a new January record, providing 41% of all our electricity for the month. So that's the seventh best month that we've had on record which is good to see. But the CEO of Wind Energy Ireland is saying that there are huge issues with the planning system here if we want to keep ramping that up. So he said the pipeline of projects is there, the investment is there, but everything is slowed down by an under-resourced planning system that is completely unfit for purpose. There's um, a shocker. <laughs> And then looking at things in uh, the international arena, the International Energy Agency have announced that most of the growth in global electricity demand will be met by renewable and nuclear energy. So basically what that means is that electricity demand is going to go up 3% per year for the next three years, with most of that demand coming in China, India and Southeast Asia. So most of that increased electricity usage will be provided by renewables and nuclear. And then when they sort of drill down into electricity usage, they found that gas usage is is projected to decrease in Europe, but that will be offset by increases in the Middle East. Coal usage is set to decrease in the US and Europe, but that's offset by an increase in the Asia-Pacific region. So in terms of what all this means, it means that annual emissions from electricity globally won't go up very much in the next three years but they also won't come down very much they're just sort of projected to stay the same which obviously is not what we need we need electricity emissions to come down quickly yeah but at the same time dara um they're forecasting that the power sector has a bit of a tipping point coming up in 2025 and, and a tipping point in a good way in that they expect that it will start to become at a, at a much faster pace. Emissions will start to come down and renewables and clean energy will start to take over more. So hopefully they're right about that. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. I think the I think the issue with the stories like this is that the headline from the IEA is quite promising in that, oh, the next three years increased demand is going to be met from renewables. But actually what that means for emissions is that emissions are pretty much staying the same that global electricity demand is growing and when actually we need rapid reduction of fossil fuel burning in the electricity mix so if 2025 is a tipping point and things do start to rapidly come down then that's good um but 
yeah, at the moment it's it's not fast enough and it's almost yeah, as though you're saying it's a bit of a complex issue and that while we have a little bit of positive news, we shouldn't rest on our laurels too much or start breathing too big a sigh of relief because there's still well, lots think, of other things that need to be fixed and worried yeah, about well, on the side. I, I don't think it's that complex in that we just need to be using more clean energy. I, and yeah. and the, the IEA director has said that governments now need to make sure that they are focused on low emission sources and drive and growing them faster and driving down emissions, you know, so, and they see that hopefully starting to happen after 2025 in particular. Yeah, yeah positively from Anna Pringle, who knew? I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry, I'm going to bring it right back down now, guys. Um, I think the thing that's missing from both of these stories in terms of Ireland's electricity generation and the IEA projections is neither of them talk about demand. Mm-hmm. Neither of them yep. talk about actually reducing electricity usage, which is something that if we are going to make the changes needed to meet Paris Agreement targets, things like that, we de- do need to decrease demand. So what's yep. happening at the moment is that globally, electricity supply, a bigger share is re- is renewable, but also there's just more electricity being used. So that has no effect on emissions. And then similarly with, you know, the CEO of Wind Energy Ireland talking about the planning system being unfit for purpose, that's true, but there's nothing to stop us coming up with ways of actually reducing our electricity yeah. consumption in Ireland. That's something we yep. can do now. But we can't do that while adding data centers and all sorts of things to the demand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, while I agree to some extent with the... the while I agree to some extent with his complaints about the planning system and things like that, there are also, obviously, you know, in, in season one of the podcast, we talked about the mean bog story where a wind farm was built in the wrong place. And so obviously that's really important issue and there's huge implications for biodiversity in particular with those kind of things. So just something to be sort of balanced and considered as well, I think. Yeah, and as usual in Ireland, we're getting things the wrong way around. Like they still haven't designated the marine protected areas and they're looking at wind farm permits in areas that could be marine protected areas. And it's just, it's not not being done in the best, most systematic way to protect both biodiversity and develop wind. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) So it just brought Kira right back down again. You guys. (laughs) I think the other thing with demand when you're looking at it from a global perspective is sort of the climate justice element is that for years and years and years we have been consuming way above our fair share. Most of the countries now where this increased demand is coming from China, India, Southeast Asia, that's in countries that are developing where this increased Mm -hmm. electricity generation is going to increase the standard of living um, in a lot of instances. So that's even more reason for us to reduce our usage in the Western world to allow space for for countries like that to increase their emissions. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I'm back in the room, guys. So and our next story will give us an opportunity to rant again. Um, so we are looking at, once again, our favourite oil companies. Um, so this week, last week, if you rem- remember, we had ExxonMobil, Shell, Chevron all announcing record profits. 
This week we have BP joining in with the other big five and they announced the highest profits in their 114 year history this week. Um, yeah, A mere $28 billion though compared to ExxonMobil's whatever it was, 57. And in the course of announcing their record profits, they also announced quite a U-turn. So our friend Bernard Looney from Kenmare, do you remember him, Kira? How could I forget the love of my life? So he, when he took over from, at BP as CEO in 2020, he started talking about we're going to reinvent energy, we're going to cut oil and gas production by 40% by 2030. But guess what? They've just had this very, very profitable year. So mm, we're not quite going to do all that cutting. We're going to cut by 25%. And yeah, well, we're going to actually also invest $8 billion in new oil and gas by 2030. So it's quite the U-turn that they are doing. Um, and, you know, I'd love to say I'm shocked, but I'm not. <laughs> Anna, I thought you had full faith in the fossil fuel industry leaders. <laughs> I so really BP did. historically are kind of like this, this fossil fuel company who have sort of pitched themselves as a green alternative to their competitors. But essentially what we're seeing here is it's all really a pile of bull. That's fake, yeah. I'm disillusioned in Bernard. I mean, BP used to say, We're, we stand for beyond petroleum. Yep, nope, nope, you don't. Um, reinventing energy now means investing $8 billion in new oil and gas by 2030. So if they were an Irish company, they definitely would be in line for the greenwashing awards that our friend at Irish EVs, Tom Spencer, is running. Um, maybe we could nominate Bernard Looney for the greenwashing exec of the year. Irish exec of the year. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, and, and, and but what's really um, telling about if you read their announcements and so on, and if you look at Bernard's very user-friendly Instagram feed, the language that they are using is just so, it's such doublespeak. Like he keeps talking about, we have to give the world the energy it wants and needs. And that's not just that's not just lo low carbon. That's also secure and affordable, you know. So they're just using all this language to just mask what they're doing. Yeah, it's really yeah. kind of scary seeing as I I know they're not the better of a bad. You know, it's not like you have the best of a bad lot, but but they're not I, the worst. Not they're not as like bad as Exxon Mobil. Yeah, but now you just see complete like an, a complete and utter U-turn. Like even going, I went on when I heard this. I went on to his Instagram to see what if if he was saying and think about it. And of course he is. And I run a business. If I set goals for my business, and I come out a year or two later and I say, oh, I can't possibly achieve these really important goals that I've spent the last two years talking about how are important for me, I will go on and I will be solemn and I will be upset and I will kind of be honest about the reasons why he's almost celebrate like he has doesn't even slightly acknowledge that he might have failed which would have to some degree allowed me to be like all right you know what at least he as an individual has some sort of genuine care about this but it's a pure bare face like we are doing our best there's absolutely no acknowledgement of the complete disregard for the strategy they've been going on about celebrating and it's like it's actually criminal yeah. Yeah. And and it's like, oh, well, we did we did want to do this, but guess what? It's too profitable to do what we've always been doing. So we have to we have to generate the profits. You know, it's like and so okay, at least and somebody somebody commented and said at least that's somewhat more honest than pretending 
that you're doing something different. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think the I think the thing you know the one thing that we know is that to meet our Paris Agreement targets, to have any chance of keeping the world below one and a half or two degrees warming, loads of the known fossil fuel reserves have to stay in the ground. So the things that these companies have in their assets need to stay in the ground. And now, am I right in saying that this 8 billion is for new exploration? Is that what you said, Anna? It's for new... Or new new extraction. It's, yeah, but 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 they're also targeting. So it's it's quite clever because it's also saying that it's for projects that can be short term, have short term return, and that they can get done quickly. So if you think about the fact that it's going to become less and less acceptable, but these are for short term projects that they can get a profit off quickly. Yeah, I feel that's kind of how things have happened now. Is that all in the last couple of weeks? all these announcements we've seen is that all these oil companies realize they're in the last chance saloon and yeah. they're not even being subtle about it anymore. They're like, yeah, we're profiteering off the war in Ukraine. We're making a fortune while people are suffering a cost of living crisis. We know this is the end, so we're not even going to be subtle about it anymore. We're just going to milk every single euro and dollar we can out of this while the going's good. Yeah. And meanwhile, we'll talk about nice things like a balanced energy transition, which, by the way, means we must still spend in oil and gas. Or And you'll hear one word you'll hear more often from the oil companies is hydrocarbons. So all of a sudden, they're not talking about fossil fuel. They're not talking about oil and gas. They're talking mm. about hydrocarbons, which is not kind of a nice word, hydrocarbons. You know, um, are, so, are oil executives hydrocarbons? I'd say they are. <laughs> I think we all What's are. What's a hydrocarbon? <laughs> Uh, something that's made of hydrogen and carbon. So, for example, methane. <laughs> you know, well, everything is made of carbon. Um, but you know, it's a fo- it's just a nicer way of saying fossil fuels. It's just it's okay. So again, it's just using. greenwashing again. Yeah. Totally. So you have um, to just listen listen to their language and listen to when they say it's energy for today, energy the world needs. You know, and and how do you argue with the world needs energy? Mm, yeah. That's very clever. Um, there are people arguing, though, with Shell. Is that right? Yeah. And so meanwhile, Shell is, uh, God love them. They're struggling to spend all their cash. They have a problem with their, their cash flow. <laughs> yeah. They don't know what to spend it on. Um, it's hard to... Cards. They can't invest in new <laughs> oil and gas fast enough. Um, and so, And they're getting sued for things like that as well. But our friends in Greenpeace, I know you were very taken with them this week, Kira. What are they doing to Shell? I found this story really, really inspiring. I've been feeling a bit gaslit the last few weeks by the fossil fuel industry. Oh, oh. I, yeah, woe is me. Um, but it's the there pun has I been... was reacting to. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I'm a witty girl. Um, so anyway, the guys, these activists, what are they doing? They have boarded a vessel carrying a Shell oil platform in the Atlantic. So they're doing this to obviously bring attention to what Shell are doing. Highlight the, can I say criminal acts? Is it criminal acts? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't sue me, Shell. <laughs> I don't have bring it money. on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got Anna on my side. She'll give it to you. <laughs> so they are taking a stand against what Shell are doing, which is they're basically trying to stop the drilling, the oil platform from getting to the oil field or they're protesting it going there. And have you have you seen 
the video of this? Have you seen the size of that thing? I have. It's quite, quite shocking to see it because you never really, I've never, obviously, why would I have been imagining an oil platform? But seeing this, it is wild. It's like a big ship. It's like a skyscraper in the middle of the sea. Like it's mad looking. Um, and, And the Greenpeace guys are calling themselves not climate activists, but climbing activists. Because they've had to actually, I mean, one of the videos they showed was they, they're pulling up in like rubber dinghies beside this huge thing and they're scaling it. They're climbing with ropes up the side of it. And I mean, I'm looking at them going, oh my God, that is terrifying what they are doing. They're so brave. It's so brave. And that's why I find it really, that's why I really love this story because you can almost have that sense of what can we do? But okay, maybe not everybody's going to start scaling oil platforms, but you can be a little bit assured that there are people who are out there doing it and kind of take a little bit of inspiration from that to do something that is within your wheelhouse to kind of yeah pull the fossil fuel industry apart yeah yeah <laughs> but i think that thing of when you see people you know the way you're like what can i do as an individual and then you'll hear people say you know you don't realize the power that you have and you actually see that they are using their bodies and they are putting themselves in a place that actually gives them power and that's something um yeah that if, if nothing else gives food for thought i think yeah and shell took them to court to try to get them to stop and shell was not successful in that um will we listen to a little clip from the greenpeace yeah. team we are on top of shell's oil and gas drilling platform penguins fpso and we just heard that they announced the profits of last year 39 billion us dollars this huge amount is the double the amount of uh, clearing up Pakistan's floodings last year. This is a company that is causing climate destruction all around the world, and they're not taking responsibility or paying for that. So our message to Shell's new CEO is to stop drilling and start paying. Great. Great message. Stop drilling, start paying is a great message. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And it's very, very inspiring to see them doing something so kind of. Absolutely. <sighs> and and Kira, we all you forgot to tell us about your favorite um, UN Secretary General this week, Antonio well, uh, Guterres. You're taking the P out of me, <laughs> but he's actually starting to win me over. He called out the fossil fuel industry this <clears throat> week and I rather agreed with what he was saying. He had spoken out saying it is immoral for oil and gas companies to be making record profits from the current from the current energy crisis on the backs of the poorest at a massive cost to the climate. And he had also said your core product is our core problem, which I think sums it up absolutely brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, he has been so strong on this topic and and he's getting stronger, I think, as time goes on. He's just, he's not pulling any punches and he's so right. The backbone that man has must yeah. be made of steel. <laughs> Great. Shall we um, move on then to the couple of stories that we didn't get to discuss in depth uh, this yeah. week? Let's do it, Dara. So I think a sad one um, or definitely a pity and a shame is that the series Eco-Eye is finishing up. So this is the last episode of Eco-Eye is airing this week. It's had something like is it 23 seasons. Um, 
a really, really important ecology show on RTE um, that has been around, you know, way before this topic was cool. Um, and it's finishing up. RTE have said they're, uh, you know, diversifying and increasing their climate coverage and EcoI isn't part of that anymore. So it is a huge loss, I think, to to yeah. climate and environmental broadcasting in Ireland. Yeah, it is absolutely. They've had a massive impact. But RTE says they are it's being it's finishing because they're going to be commissioning a lot more environmental and climate programming. So let's see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, could they not do both? Maybe yeah. he's on a late late show salary. Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah. The climate alarm clock TV show. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody making Eco Eye is making any huge RTE money, to be honest. But yeah, um, and then a good a good news story, I think, in relation to developments around the ECT. Anna, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so the Energy Charter Treaty, which is um, every it's just a terrible treaty that allows corporations to sue governments for if they change their business model. So, for example, Shell could sue the government if they all of a sudden aren't making profits from oil and gas. Um, so that treaty, it looks like it is dying a slow death at the EU level, which is really good news. The EU Commission has come out this week and said that it looks like EU's exit from the Energy Charter Treaty is now unavoidable. Other countries have been withdrawing from it and it looks like it won't be sustainable. And that is good news. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of been, the writing's been on the wall for a while, so it's definitely yeah. moving in the right direction. Um, some other news, I guess it's good news. It kind of ties into what we were saying about greenwashing. The Advertising Standards Authority of Ireland have found this week that electricity companies are misleading hundreds of thousands of customers by claiming to supply 100% renewable power. So that happened to me. I had to, I had to call up the elect my electricity provider during the week and it says, you know, this is whoever, whoever, we're the largest supplier of 100% renewable yeah. electricity. And it turns out that the way that they do this is they buy green energy certificates from other countries that sort oh. of kind of like offset their actual emissions. But a lot of the certificates were being bought from Norway and we don't even have an electricity connector to Norway. So it's just this bizarre situation. So, so you mean when Energia tells me that 100% of the electricity coming into my house is green, it is not true. Yeah, which which we know because the wind doesn't blow all the time. Um, yep. So there are sometimes that it has to be gas or other other fossil fuels that are providing the electricity. So it's good that that has been found to be greenwashing and misleading. Um, so we will see the end of that now. That's um, definitely another one for the um, greenwashing awards. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good that the Advertising Standards Authority are actually upholding this claim because sometimes they can be very very wishy-washy when it comes to when it comes to environmental claims so it's good that that they've taken a, a strong stance on this yep um, and other good news and comes back to our friends at shell actually and um, the guardian reported on thursday that shell directors are personally being sued over their flawed climate strategy yeah so client earth which is a great 
organization that uses the law to try and, and um, achieve climate goals, um, they are suing the directors and saying they have personal responsibility because they're not meeting their climate strategy and their climate targets. So that is a very um, interesting development. And I think all of those challenges will ultimately have an effect on companies like Shell. Yeah, definitely. One to, one to keep an eye on. Um, and then another really lovely story is a video that Friends of the Earth have brought out this week about called For the Love of Solar, about schools that have been campaigning for solar panels um, in their schools for the last few years. And it has led to an announcement that all schools will be able to avail of free solar panels in 2023. So we link that video in the show notes. Um, it's a really, really lovely development. Excellent. And so they should. Every big roof should have solar panels. Any any other stories that people want to talk about or will we go on to the actions? Let's talk about action, Dara. Um, so uh, if you are in Dublin and you are one of the early listeners to our podcast, I highly recommend a Climate Conversation Cafe in Cornucopia on Sunday the 12th of February at 5pm. So you just go and it's sort of facilitated discussion. You meet other people and you just talk about how you feel about climate change. It's a really lovely experience. Um, so I highly recommend going to that. I was at the last one and it was great. And interestingly, Dara, even though we have this in our list of actions, they really stress that it's not about making you feel you have to take action. It's just about talking to people about yeah, how they're which, reacting and how, and how they feel about it. Yeah, and I think there's something really, really powerful. It's obviously great that we have this podcast where we get to chat about these issues with each other. But when you chat to people about these issues who you've never spoken to about the issues before, that's a really, I find it a great experience. Uh, kind of Yeah, the and Kira, people talk about their feelings. You might like it. I would fit in so well. <laughs> um, elsewhere around the country then, sort of um, giving... Uh, advance notice there's a three-hour interactive workshop to help you understand the ipcc reports called climate fresk in limerick on the 23rd (laughs) of february in the innovation lab on sarsfield street and there's a future of irish peatlands workshop on the 21st of february in abbey leaks manor hotel county leash talking about things and actions we can do Kira, you were asking you know is what the oil company is doing is that criminal there's actually an eu petition to have ecocide recognized as a crime in which case what they are doing would be criminal um the destruction of nature so that's something we can sign and then it's not strictly climate related but i think it's really 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 important there is an ireland for all solidarity march on the 18th of February at 1.30 starting at Parnell Square. So we're seeing the terrifying rise of the far right here. Um, and it's great to see some sort of counter demonstrations, counter protests. We've seen in places like Brazil and the US how linked the far right is with environmental destruction. But even if it wasn't linked to climate, I think it's just a hugely, hugely important cause for as many people to show their support for an inclusive Ireland. So if you can make it to that, definitely do. And we'll put details in the show notes for that as well. Yeah. And before we go, Dara, as well, I'd like to just do, we've mentioned the Irish Greenwashing Awards 2023. And just to say, I'll, again, we'll put this in the show notes. If you have nominations, 
provide suggestions for the biggest greenwashers in Ireland, whether it's politicians or corporations or whatever. Um, and Irish EVs is running that, and we'll probably feature that at some point later in the season. Absolutely. Yeah. I would like to just make one final addition to our actions for this week, guys. Again, not directly climate related, but the obviously we've all seen the news of the earthquakes in, and the destruction it's caused in Turkey and Syria. Um, and I actually have family living in Turkey who have very kindly passed on a really reliable and trustworthy organisation on the ground, which people can donate to if they'd like to. Um, so we'll put the, the, it's kind of a, you can't really say it out loud. So I will put the uh, link to that in the show notes with you guys as well, if that's okay for anyone that would like to donate, because obviously it's a very, very scary and sad event that has taken place. Thanks for reminding us of that. It's heartbreaking to see the scenes coming from Turkey and Syria in an area that's already ravaged by refugee crisis and so many and war and so on. So it's just it's heartbreaking. Really, really. Is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. OK, um, that is it for this week. Anna and Kira, lovely talking to you as always. You too, Dara. You too, Dara. And if you enjoyed listening, please do share the podcast with a friend. A reminder to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Climate Alarm Clock and on Twitter and Mastodon at The Climate Alarm. And finally, um, we have set up a donation page on buymeacoffee.com. So this podcast is run on a shoestring. Um, we're hoping to make it sustainable and viable going forward. So we're asking listeners who have enjoyed the podcast, if at any stage you want to donate the price of a cup of coffee to keep the podcast ticking over, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm. That is it for this week. Um, we'll be back with more climate news next week. Until then, goodbye. Coffee. I need coffee.